do we take the commitments that we make in our prayers and our songs? How many of us have promised God, if you do that for me, then I will do this for you? How seriously do we take those vows? Secondly, plain speaking. Verse 34, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Now, Jesus here cannot be suggesting that we don't make promises at all. The Bible is full of promises. God makes numerous promises and swears that he'll keep them. Paul makes vows to God. So this doesn't mean we should never make a promise or should refuse to sign a contract or make vows when asked to. Rather, this is, again, as we've seen in previous weeks, a critique of the practice of the religious leaders in Jesus' own day. It seems that they developed a bit of a ranking system for vows. What you swore by determined the seriousness of the promise that you made. The closer the thing you swore by was to God, the more serious the promise. So let me read to you from chapter 23, where Jesus addresses a similar issue. Speaking to the Pharisees, he says, Woe to you blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, then they're bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And he goes on, exposes their hypocrisy. Can you see something of how these religious leaders were, were lowering the bar of God's law, finding clever ways, inventing their own legal loopholes so that they could make a promise that isn't really a promise because they didn't make that promise before God's? Jesus cuts through all of that and says, every word we speak has reference to God. If you swear by heaven, it's God's throne. The earth is his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem. That's the city of God's king. Even your own head, God owns that too. He's the one who numbers your hairs and determines the color of each one. Every word we utter is spoken before God. God sees, God knows. He hears and he will judge. There's a really frightening verse a bit later in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus says we will be judged for kind of scary, isn't it? Every offhand comment matters according to Jesus because it's spoken in the presence of God. We're never out of God's presence. Everything we speak. Again, Jesus isn't saying we should never sign a contract or take a vow. It's not wrong to put your hand on the Bible and take a vow to speak the truth in a courtroom. But we shouldn't have levels of truthfulness. Everything we say should be as truthful as if we're swearing on a stack of Bibles in a courtroom. We're always under oath because we're always in the presence of God. The motto of the city of London is, my word is my bond. My word is my bond. But sadly, that's not really lived out as lawyers draft contracts with clever small print so that you can pull out of an agreement because a certain condition hasn't been fulfilled. But you said you'd do it. Yeah, but haven't you read the small prints? 
It sounds a lot like the culture of Jesus' own day, doesn't it? Finding loopholes. Uh, I didn't really mean it. I haven't signed the contract. I, I, I wasn't serious when I said that, only joking. Jesus says our words matter. Let me give you four kinds of lies. Political lies, not the politician lies, but political lies. I'd love to come, but I've got something else on. When the truth is, there's nothing going on, you just don't want to go. I'm sorry I'm late, the traffic was awful. When the reality is you didn't leave on time. Political lies. Secondly, exaggeration. You always put me down. You never clean up after yourself. When what you really mean is you don't do that as much as I'd like you to. And of course, when you exaggerate like that, you're not, your concern isn't to speak accurately. You just want to get the other person, make them feel bad. Thirdly, word inflation or flattery. That was amazing. That was so wonderful. And the danger, of course, is that people begin to tune you out because you're always over the top in your praise and they don't know what you really think. And then fourthly, benevolent lies. When someone needs to hear the truth but you don't have the heart to tell them. No, it, it was good. I, I, I liked it when the reality is it was not good at all. And the kind thing would be to tell them. So we're to be promise-keeping, plain-speaking, thirdly, people of integrity. Verse 37. Jesus says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Or as the older translations put it, let your yes be yes and your no, no. We're to say what we mean and mean what we say. Integrity means being consistent, doesn't it? But when I say yes, it's a true yes across the board. I, I don't say yes over here and no over there. So let me ask you some questions, diagnostic questions about your integrity. Do you say one thing but do another? Do you say you believe one thing but really you're thinking something else? Are you one way in public and another way in private? Do you have one set of values for this group of people and another set of values for another group? Are you different at work to how you are at church? Are you one way with your friends and another with your family? Are you different online to how you are in reality? We live in a culture that says we create ourselves. We determine who we want to be, the image we want to present to the world. The trouble is that if that image is different for different groups of people, then I lose myself. I don't know who I really am. Which of these images is the real me? Let me ask you this question. If you knew that everything you said tomorrow was going to be recorded and published, would that change how you spoke? how you presented yourself to people. I guess most of us, maybe all of us would say, if we're honest, yeah. Which means all of us are fools. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that's what we're saying every time we lie. 
there is no God right here, right now, to, to see, to hear this Jesus wants us to ask this uncomfortable question. Whose side am I on? Whose side are you on? We might think, okay, Ben, good to hear, sure, telling lies is not great. Honesty is the best policy. But is it really that serious when there are other crimes out there? Well, look again at what Jesus says in verse 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Whoa. We've seen similar things in the last two weeks, haven't we? How Jesus says, anger in our hearts, dismissing other people as unworthy of our attention, lustful thoughts and fantasies. They put us in danger of hell. In a similar way here, Jesus says, there are only two sides. God is a God of truth. Satan is the father of lies. If there was an audio recording of every word you'd ever spoken in your life, whose side are you on? By nature, whose side are you on? It's worth thinking about the damage that lies and deceit cause. Uh, We've seen already how a lack of integrity destroys human identity. I I no longer know who I really am. But lies also destroy human community, don't they? You know, when there's been an affair in a marriage, the the pain of that is not just the physical adultery. It's also the deceit, the lies, the the covering up, the the sense that I don't even know you. Was our whole relationship a sham? When truth is devalued, Trust is destroyed. We saw that in the skit, didn't we? When you lie, you make it very difficult for people to trust you. When the currency of truth is devalued, trust is destroyed. One scholar says this, Imagine a society in which no one trusted another to keep a promise, in which every leader was expected to lie as a matter of course, in which every teacher was suspected as an academic cheat and every preacher a moral fraud in which a friend's word was no better than a cigarette advertisement. No person in such a society could ever confide in a friend or seek help from a counselor. No partner could ever bank on the loyalty of another. No one could make decisions in assurance of having the facts in hand. No one could be certain of his neighbor's next move. Life would be brutalized. Without trust, we change from a community to a pack, from a society to a gang. Lewis means from mere morality. You know, I read that and think, you don't need that much imagination, do you? You know, you hear a a news report and think, is it true? You you hear one politician make a claim and another one deny it, and you think, I don't know. It's horrible, isn't it? Not knowing if your boss is telling you the truth. Or if your partner is going to do what they've said. It's horrible not knowing if you can really trust a friend. Every time we lie, every time we lack integrity, we are eating away at the fabric of human community. Satan is the father of lies, but God is the God of truth. Jesus is the truth. 
truth matters to Jesus, and that is a beautiful thing. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of truth. I didn't know this until this week, but in Islam, there's confusion over the morality of lying. On the website answeringislam.org, it says, the morality of lying is one of the most confusing aspects of Islamic thought. Lying is expressly permitted in certain situations. One of the foundational problems for Islam is the fact that Allah prides himself on being the best of deceivers. In the Quran, Satan says that in deceiving people, he's doing to mankind what Allah did to him. Now, I'm not saying all Muslims are liars. Far from it. But at the heart of the Islamic faith, there's this confusion about the morality of telling the truth. Contrast that with Jesus. The Apostle Peter says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. No deceit. Never a lie. He always spoke the truth. Even when it was unpopular. Even when it hurts. Even in front of his most powerful enemies. Jesus told the truth even at the cost of his life. Image. You know, contrast Jesus with the Apostle Peter, who says, even if anyone, everyone else falls away, I will not. I'm ready to die with you. And then just a few hours later, a servant girl asks him if he's one of Jesus' followers, and he denies it. Denies he even knows him. But Jesus holds to the truth and pays the price. He's crucified as a result. And friends, that is the secret to our truth-telling. That, that's the solution to our lying. Let me explain. In verse 33, 33, when Jesus says, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. It's literally, pay to the Lord the vows that you've made. See, when you make a vow, it's like you're making a pledge. To fulfill your vow is to, to pay what you've pledged. Truth costs. Keeping a promise costs. You know, most of the time when we don't tell the truth, it's because we don't want to bear the cost. For approval people like me, whose self-image is rooted in what other people think of us, if the cost of telling the truth is that we'll lose the good opinion of others, then we will be strongly tempted to fudge, to spin, to distort the facts. For control people who only feel secure and safe when, it, when they're in control, the cost of telling the truth that really bites is if it means a loss of control. So it's worth asking yourself, what is the cost of telling the truth that you feel most strongly? What is it that is most likely to cause you to lie and deceive? Whatever it is, how do you overcome that? How do you get to the position where you can handle the truth, as Jack Nicholson said? When you're secure enough, when you have enough approval in your heart that you're not scared of the truth anymore, you can bear the cost. You can pay the price of telling the truth. Well, as we've already seen, Jesus is the one person who never backed down, who never compromised, who always spoke the truth. No deceit 
was in his mouth. He was paying the price for telling the truth. He was also paying the price for our deceit, for our dishonesty, for our lies. All the ways that we side with the evil one, Jesus took all of that for us, paid the penalty for the cross in our place on the cross. Jesus had perfect integrity, yet on the cross, he was broken for you and for me so that we might be healed, we might be made whole and enabled to live lives of integrity ourselves. In the haunting movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Matt Damon plays the character Tom Ripley, who gets caught in a spiral of lies and deceit, pretending that he's someone that he's not, and it all ends in tragedy. At one point in the movie, he says this, don't you just take the past and put it in a room in a basement and lock the door and never go in there. That's what I do. I'm going to be stuck in that basement, aren't I? Terrible and alone and dark. And I've lied about who I am. I always thought it would be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody. And then you meet someone special. And all you want to do is toss them the key and say, open up, step inside. But you can't because it's dark and they're demons. And if anybody saw how ugly it is, I keep wanting to do that. Fling the door open, let the light in and clean everything out. Friends, the wonderful message of the gospel is that Jesus has seen inside your heart and mine. He's seen the worst about you. He's seen every lie, he's seen every deceit, and he loves you. He loves you at the core of your being, not the person you pretend to be, he loves the real you. Now when you grasp that, when the deep, deep love of Jesus comes home to your heart and you know it, well then it gives you the approval you need to handle the truth. You, you can come into the light. You can pay the price. Maybe so. Well, you're accepted by the only one whose opinion really matters. Maybe you will lose control, but you're secure in him. Maybe your sins will be exposed, but you're already righteous in Christ. One final word as we finish. We, we often think of the cross, don't we, as a demonstration of God's love, and it is. But it's also a demonstration of God's faithfulness. Jesus made a promise to save his people. And when the full agony of the cross was being revealed to him in the garden and closing in on him, when hell was opening up before him, he kept his word. He kept his promise. If he was faithful then, if he kept his promise when it, when it meant bearing the agony of the cross, well, then we have no reason to ever doubt. He is utterly faithful. He'll never break his promise. His word is sure. His promises are certain. His promise to forgive us. His promise to wash us clean. His promise to fill us with his spirit. 
and make us more like him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, for your integrity, for your faithfulness. Please, we pray, would you, by your spirit, bring right conviction to our hearts and lead us in full repentance, genuine repentance. Help us to come to you poor in spirit, confessing our sin, walking in the light, confident in your promise of mercy and your forgiveness and your power to change. Make us people who grasp the gospel so deeply that we're able to to handle the truth. We're able to tell the truth, whatever the cost. Jesus, we love you. We want to be more like you. And we pray you'd help us as a community to live this kingdom value, all these kingdom values more and more. That we would be known as people who have such integrity that we don't need to make promises because we're known as people of our word. A true counterculture reflecting your beautiful character. We pray in your name. Amen.